Well, good morning, Twin City Bible Church. It is a great privilege to be here with you this morning. And uh, it's been a great blessing for me to watch all of you kind of come into the service online and uh, scan through the names and see the faces of people that I know very well. And some of you uh, I haven't had an opportunity to meet yet. Uh, my wife, Christy, and I were through in the early spring, uh, which we also know in Minnesota as winter. And so I did have a chance to meet some of you or greet some of you again. Uh, but it's a real privilege for me to be here to open up uh, Philippians chapter 2 uh, to teach this morning. And I want to invite you, if you have your scriptures uh, with you, to go ahead and open to Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 11. Uh, the passage will also be on the screen in front of you. And so if you don't have uh, scriptures handy, then you can follow along as I read Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, where Paul writes, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Have this Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. As you were uh, reading along with me, you might have noticed that I began reading this passage by missing one word. And the word that I missed as I was reading, and again, I don't know what version you're looking at, but the version that was on the screen actually has the word, therefore. Therefore, verse 1, if there is any encouragement in Christ. And of course, that's a logical connector that is either pointing us back to the sentences that immediately precede it or the general thought that precedes it, the flow of thought. And so it's important when you run into a word like therefore to look backwards and see what is Paul connecting. And so in this passage, if you look backwards a paragraph, what you'll find is that he's commending or commanding the Philippians to live in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. You see that in verse 27 of chapter 1. He, he wants them to, to conduct their lives in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. 
And what he means by that in this specific case is that they would stand firm in one spirit. This is the second part of verse 27 in chapter 1. With one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And then he goes on to say that they would not be alarmed by those who oppose them because it has been granted to them for Christ's sake, not just to have faith, but also to suffer with Christ, experiencing the same conflict that Paul himself has experienced. And so Paul is commanding the Philippians to live lives that are worthy of the gospel, standing firm together in a climate of opposition that is bringing suffering their way. You see, what Paul knows is that opposition and threat, hardship and suffering, can call forth solidarity among people, but it can also call out self-interest. It can call out selflessness or selfishness. The stress and suffering of life can forge a bond or it can fracture a community. And the question is, which will it be in Philippi? Now, it's interesting because Paul himself in chapter one is observing the same thing outside of his own window. Okay, his own window is really a jail cell. So he, he, as it were, looks outside of his prison and what he sees, and he records this in chapter one, verses 12 and following, is that when he got locked up, we don't know whether he was in Rome or in Ephesus, but he was in prison. When he got locked up, there were many people who sort of took up the torch of proclaiming the gospel in that community because they knew that Paul had been appointed to the task, but he was no longer free to do so. And he says that some are preaching Christ courageously because they know that I had to, as it were, drop the torch. Then he goes on in verse 15 of chapter one to say, some to be sure are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, some out of goodwill. And he says the latter, preaching out of goodwill, do so out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. But the former, verse 17, proclaim Christ selfish rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. And so you see, Paul himself is living in a climate of opposition and threat, and he sees out of his own window that that difficulty is forging a bond of unity in some, in solidarity with him and his purposes and the purposes of God, but it's also bringing out selfishness in others, self-interest in others. The same thing is true of us. Sadly, we see that in our own city right now. Uh, I live currently in St. Paul, Minnesota, and I know many of you are following the news uh, in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. I know some of you, uh, this is very close to home. I believe Ellen Althouse has lived here for some years. Pardon me, Ellen, if I'm mistaken. But uh, we, we see in our own community, and many of you have followed in reports, how violence and threat and oppression that began against George Floyd have now resulted in both of the things that Paul has identified. It's resulted in solidarity in the community as people stand up and with one voice 
call for justice to be done, not just in this one instance, but in our community and in our nation at large, but it has also called out reckless ambition in a few. And what Paul is saying is that both of those possibilities are an option in Philippi. Threat, oppression, hardship, suffering can call out solidarity. It can call out sacrifice, but it can also call out selfish promotion or self-promotion and self-protection. Which is it going to be? Well, the passage that we read, in a sense, is Paul's uh, answer to that question. What possibility lies ahead of the Philippians? Well, he says, therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion. And I love the way that this verse starts. Uh, those of you who know me know that I was an English major and an English teacher. And so you have this rhetorical pileup of phrases in verse one. If any encouragement, if any consolation, if any fellowship, if any affection and compassion. And what it does is it forces you to slow down. And Paul is clearly placing his emphasis here through the way that he writes this. What does it draw attention to? Well, Paul is saying, as you read on, if you have experienced these things, verse 2, then make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, nothing out of selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. He's saying, if you have received encouragement, consolation, fellowship in the spirit, any tenderness or affection, then stand together with one another, united. Now, it may go without saying, which is always a speaker's way of saying, I'm going to say this. It may go without saying that Paul believes, or you might say assumes, that these things he mentions in verse 1 are the real experience of the Philippian believers. The question is, are they your experiences also? Have you found resolution and strength in your difficulties coming to you from outside of you through Jesus and his people? Has God poured out his loving consolation on you in your time of loss through his spirit and through his church? Have you experienced the presence of God's spirit and God's people so that you know that you are not alone but cared for? During my time at Twin City, when my late wife Katie was living through uh, years of cancer treatment, these are the things that we both found from the Lord and from his people, encouragement, consolation, fellowship, compassion, affection. And Paul assumes that these things have been the experience of the Philippian believers at well. And if this has been their experience, and if this has been your experience and mine, then we know what divine resources 
are available to us in Christ. We, we know what kind of stability there is for us within Jesus. So you don't then, when you pass through times of difficulty, have to try to seize control of circumstances or people because you realize that there is a God above you who loves you and through his body is surrounding you to support you. And this is what Paul is saying. If, you, if this is your experience and you understand what divine resources are yours in Christ, then this option opens up to you in difficulty. You can stand together. And this is what he says. This is the way he describes it in verses two and three again, that you can be of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, doing nothing from selfishness, doing nothing from empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regarding one another is more important than yourselves, not looking out for your own matters, your own interests, but also for the interest of others. And I want to invite you, think about what a fellowship would look like if this characterized it. Think of what it would be like, what it would feel like to live within a fellowship, whether it is a fellowship of two, that is a marriage, if you will, or a fellowship of hundreds, a church, but where you never have to assert your rights or struggle to get your own way, where you never have to champion your own interest because those around you are always championing your interest for you. How many fights would never begin? And how many impulses would die a sudden death if we simply carried this attitude in our hearts? You are more important than me, and I hold your interest to be of greater value than my own. Well, what Paul goes on to say in verse 5 is this was precisely the attitude that Jesus had. This is, as Paul would say, this was the mind of Jesus Christ. Verse 5, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or seized or clung to, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of man and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And I'll stop my reading there. Paul is pointing to Jesus, and he's doing so for one of two reasons. And I can't, I'm going to warn you beforehand, I can't settle this conclusively for you. Paul is either saying in verse 5 that we should have this mind of humility where we consider the interest of others above our own, either because this was Jesus's attitude, and we are to follow his example. That's one option. Or because this was Jesus's attitude, and we actually share in the life of Christ. 
In other words, this will be our experience because Jesus himself is living this way within us. The, the underlying Greek from which we get our English translation doesn't make it clear whether Paul is setting Jesus up as our example that we should follow or saying we share in the life of Christ. Therefore, this will be our attitude if we will let him live his life within us. I will tell you, I, I think that that option is more probable. Uh, and I say that only on the strength of what Paul is saying later in the letter to the Philippians, that he wants to know Christ experientially and to share the fellowship of his suffering, to be conformed to his death. Paul sees his own life as so united to Christ that the experiences of Jesus are his own, and that is what he wants. He wants to let Jesus live his life within him, Paul. And so it is probable, and if you're reading, by the way, from the ESV, the English Standard Version, uh, the translators of the ESV have given that shade of meaning to verse 5, where we are to have this attitude or this mind in ourselves, which is also ours in Christ Jesus. Um, so Paul is saying um, either we are to follow the example of Jesus or we share in the mind of Jesus because of our union with him. And look what we share. He existed, verse six, in the form of God, yet he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He was not looking out, if you will, for his own interest. But, verse seven, he emptied himself. I think it's curious to note, by the way, that that word in verse 7 that the NESB translates, he emptied himself, is the same root word that we find in verse 3, where Paul says, do nothing out of selfishness, do nothing out of empty conceit. And later on, he says in verse 8, that Jesus himself humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Again, Paul says in verse 3, do nothing out of selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Same root word again. So the very things that Paul is asking us not to do or to embrace in the early part of chapter 2 are the very things that are a part of the mind of Christ who emptied himself and humbled himself for our sakes. Because this was Jesus's attitude, it should be our attitude. Because this was Jesus's attitude, it can be our attitude as we share in his life, and it needs to be ours. Why? Well, just as a matter of course, living life in this world, we are going to pass through times of hardship, times of suffering, at times, it's going to be more difficult, more extreme than at others, but nobody gets a free pass through this life. And so in times of challenge, hardship, threat, opposition, the tendency naturally for us is to pull back away from people and to become self-protective and self-promoting. And Paul knows that this is the natural tendency that we have. But in Christ, we don't have to respond to challenges that way. 
we may live in such a way that even though our natural impulse is to pull away, instead we move towards our brothers and sisters in unity. That though our natural tendency might be to just look out for ourselves and our own interests, that we have the option in Christ to consider the interest of other people ahead of our own. And I would say this, Twin City is a church that has been in a season of transition for a prolonged period of time, and transition always equals tension. Hear that. Every season of transition brings with it tension. For some, perhaps for many of us, transition feels like threat. The tension feels like a threat to our well-being. And again, as we saw in the beginning, threat can forge a bond of unity or it can fracture a community. And we don't have to look beyond, in our case, our own city to see this. That opposition, threat, can either forge bonds of unity or it can tear people apart. Twin City Bible Church, as you enter into uh, these sort of fi this final season in your pastoral search, this is a time of transition. And as God leads you to the person who will take the helm of leadership in the church, that too will continue to be a time of transition. And for many of you, that time of transition will bring a sense of threat or insecurity. The question will be, what about me? and my interest. And what Paul is saying is, sharing in the mind of Christ, you do not have to be the champion of your own interest. If there is any encouragement from Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness or affection, and those are your realities in the gospel, if you will let them be, then you can share in the mind of Christ who did not champion his own interest, who did not seek his own welfare, but he sought the interest and welfare of us. That can be your reality in Christ, if you will let it, if you will let him. And that is my encouragement to you. As you live forward into this continued season of transition. Let the tensions that will arise, there will be no way to pass through the days ahead as a church without tensions arising. Let the tensions bring you together as you purposefully choose to share in the mind of Christ individually and as his people. Can I pray a prayer to that end for you? Lord, thank you for giving us this opportunity to be together and to worship together in an unusual medium, of course, that's now become sadly familiar to us. But thank you that we can be together, that you've given us the option to see one another, hear from one another, and most importantly, to hear from your word. Lord, would you accomplish in us, in our church, what Paul was teaching to the Philippian believers? that they would be united in mind, that they would come together, that they would not allow the suffering and the hardship and the tension that they were going through to tear them apart, 
but that the pressures would bring them together, forging a bond of unity. Now, of course, Lord, we are not in our situations perhaps facing the same level of opposition that the Philippian church was. And yet, Lord, the same dynamics are probably at work. We don't like instability because it feels threatening to us and our interests. Help us, Lord, to stay grounded in the gospel that in Christ there is no instability, that in you there is only love, life, peace, compassion, and help us from those resources, from that stable place, to live with the interest of others, the well-being of others in mind during this time. We ask that of you in Jesus' name. Amen.